You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 19, today we're in Libourne. Hello, my name is Richard Moore. I'm with the Marseille prosecutor, Francois Tomaso. Hmm, new nickname. <laughs> new nickname. Yeah. And the Melbourne mullet, Mitch Docker. <laughs> Great to be here again in a beautiful location tonight. Where are we? Where are we, Francois? We're not far from Saint-Emilion. We're in a little village just outside of Saint-Emilion. And we're really in the middle of vines. I mean, you know, there are vineyards all over the place. And we're very, very near some of the most prestigious uh, vintages in, uh, in, in French wine and in world wine. I mean, you know, we went past coming here. Uh, well, of course, Saint-Emilion, Pomerol. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we actually were hoping, you know, in the car to go past Petrus or Chateau Iquem, rather, probably the most famous wines in the world, but we didn't. Well, I'll, I'll go back to Petrus tomorrow and we'll, you know, we have nothing else to do uh, <laughs> during the time trial. <laughs> our, well, our, we turned up and our hotelier, um, uh, I think he was, he was play acting a bit, but he was shocked when Mitch asked him if he had some local beer. <laughs> he wasn't impressed at all. And then I asked him, Oh, well, no problem. Where's the closest brewery? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we are in, in wine country. Tomorrow is the wine trial, the penultimate stage of the Tour de France, the time trial. Um, I think the, the, we're actually almost on the course here, we, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So um, we'll maybe go out and recce that in the morning. Um, and uh, it's a yeah, 30 kilometer time trial. Not a lot at stake in the time trial, it has to be said, in terms of the GC, but... Uh, Today was the, well, the penultimate chance for the sprinters, or so we thought. Um, it didn't quite turn out like that. It was another really interesting and exciting stage, actually. One that you couldn't really take your eyes off on our long journey from, well, a complicated day, wasn't it? We had quite a lot, bit of distance to cover. Um, there were a few mishaps along the way. It's kind of traditional, because one of the last times I was here and we did a similar journey from Po up to Bordeaux, I realised halfway um, to the to Bordeaux that I'd left my very nice shoes back in Po and we made the rather eccentric decision to turn back for them oh my gosh <laughs> and missed the finish of the stage <laughs> nothing like that happened today mm, well <laughs> anyway uh, two non-starters um, this morning as we uh, set out on stage 19 207 kilometers up to Libourne uh, Michael Woods Israel startup nation and Miguel Angel Lopez of Movistar two you know highly fancied riders at the start of the tour have not well Superman has not had a great time of it Mike Woods has had his crashes but he's been up the road as well he's been challenging for the King of the Mountains jersey, good friend of yours, Mitch. And we know, I mean, you've spoken to him a few times the last couple of days. He's been pretty much running on empty, hasn't he? He has, yeah. And I think, look, there wasn't really much else to achieve. Um, in saying that, of course, Woodsy is a team man. And as soon as Israel was chasing today... He dodged a bullet, didn't he? Did he not, take, not starting today. But I just know, Woodsy, he would have loved to have been there doing it for the team. You know, that's the type of guy he is, to be able to give back... For everyone helping him, he's a guy who really gets off on that. So he would have hated leaving the tour, but like I said, there's probably not much more to gain. He was empty, he was injured, and he knows he's got a big goal just around the corner with the Olympic Games and looks like that suits him down to the ground. Well, um, as I say, we, we expected a sprint finish today, a chance today for Mark Cavendish to go for Eddie Merckx's 
well, to go for the record he, that he, he holds <laughs> along with Eddie Merckx at the moment of 34 stadiums, but a chance today for number 35. Eddie Merckx was there at the start um, and there was a, a warm embrace between the two of them. Well, Merckx had clearly paid off a few of the teams to uh, make it more difficult for well, <laughs> well actually not because he said at the start I mean I was there uh, you know I was interviewing Christian Prudhomme for a story I'm writing on Tour de France and wine which might interest some of you guys uh, well we might come back to it tomorrow mm. with little stuff from Luke Durbridge and other wine uh, enthusiasts in the peloton but and, and Merckx was on the podium at the, at the village and he said and he was asked the question you know and he said well I really would like for oh my uh, goodness we're joined by Eddie Merckx yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for Mark to win his 35 35th stage so that we you know, don't talk about it again, you know? So he, he really wished for... Well, thanks, Eddie, and welcome back, Francois. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he was very, you know, yeah, he, he, I mean, he, made, he put it straight, like, you know, uh, he, he wants the calf to, to win the 35th stage. So, you know, no more... You know, no more about this record, you know. So, Cavendish doesn't want to talk about the record and neither does Marx. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Marx wants it, wants it, you know, finished. Once, yeah. once Cav, Cav is the only one, you know, record stage winner with 35 uh, wins, nobody will, will say he's, he's beaten Marx. Nobody will ever talk 36, about it again. Well, nobody will talk about Marx yeah, again. The, the record that dare not speak its name. It was the subject of uh, our comment to zero today. Lionel has, um, has, has made a... A great episode uh, all about Mark Cavendish and the quest for the, the record, uh, which rolls now into onto Paris, where we fully expect a bunch sprint and uh, another chance for him to try and claim the record outright. I mean, as I say, we were all expecting a bunch sprint and you spoke at the start, um, Mitch, to Luka Mezgic of uh, Team Bike Exchange. He He's a, a fast sprinter in his own right, but he's been helping Michael Matthews in his quest to try and take the green jersey. And it was interesting hearing what he said at, at the start, and particularly with the benefit of hindsight, knowing what happened in the stage. Let's hear from him now. All right, Luka Mezjek, mate. You're looking bloody lean. Ridiculous. How are you? Wow, man, I've been on a regime. High altitude. No. What do you mean the last two days? <laughs> yeah, last three weeks. <laughs> no, I've been feeling good. I'm uh, climbing good, good like last year. So uh, I survived a little bit easier the whole uh, three-week tour. So I'm a bit fresher now in the last two days of potential sprint. I saw how fresh you were because the last couple of lead-outs you've done for Michael in the intermediates were amazing, especially a couple of intermediates ago where Michael took it, you hit out early on the right, it was a really, really great move. So you've been reading the sprints well, but also feeling really well. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to compete uh, myself and Michael towards against uh, the whole uh, quick step squad. You know, they have four guys in the last case, so uh, I have to bring Michael there. Normally, Derps and Chris do their job around five to three k to go so in the very final i'm alone there and yeah a lot of times i spend too much energy to do a proper lead out but anyway it's um, the most important is that michael is fresh and on a good wheel before the sprint starts and that's my job i think that's what we know too sometimes the lead out is actually placing him in a good position it's not doing the five pedal strokes on the front the glory job sometimes it's the dirty work and like you said with the team like quickstep they've got it drilled you're going to have to do the dirty work what's going to happen at the start you guys going to help try and control things shut it down so it's going to be a sprint or you're just going to let the race roll on because potentially it's going to be a really hard race lots of teams still need to achieve something today's the last day really that's a good good point uh, good question actually it can turn both ways so it can be a bigger bigger group because also cavendish can just lose today you know if he 
drops a chain, if he crashes in the end, if he is out of position, and maybe Michael take those necessary points, the green jersey can swap. And yeah, there's a risk also for Quickstep to take control of today's sprint. Uh, but I think their egos and their way of racing, you know, the Wolfpack, they won't. Uh, they will go all in and. Uh, they want to achieve also the breaking record for Kev. Well, that was Luca Mezga. She also spoke to Mads Pedersen, the former world champion Trek Segafredo rider this morning. And again, with hindsight, some of what he said is really, really interesting. It's really interesting. You know, he he wanted a hard start. He certainly got that. It looked like the break was going to go. But then when things kicked off, really, again, after that intermediate, he got his hard start he wished for. And the kilometers certainly ticked by. But especially he's, the two guys you spoke about getting in the break jumped straight in there. You know, Jasper Sturvin and Edward Toons. I was going to say Dylan Toons. Edward Toons got in there, you know, just as he predicted. Um, he wasn't hoping for that because he wanted to have a big sprint, but he predicted they'd go up the road. Well, let's hear what Patterson said this morning. Mads, how are you, mate? Yeah, looking forward to Paris now, but uh, another day to stay focused and then uh, we can uh, take a chill from there. You're looking forward to Paris already? Mate, this race feels like it's only just getting going. Yeah, as Tomsey would say, the real Tour de France starts today. <laughs> but maybe you can have some fun today. Final sort of two more sprint days. How are you feeling? Are you going to have a go today? What's your feeling after the mountains? Like, I feel quite okay. Like, I had some sickness and struggled a bit with it also during this week, but uh, it's getting better. So, I'm, um, yeah, my personal view is I'm, I'm really looking forward for sprint, but uh, the team have another opinion and, and maybe it's going to be a breakaway day also. It really also depends on what uh, what quickstep they want to do. Uh, if they want to be sure with the green jersey, they let uh, 10 or 12 guys go and then uh, Cafe is uh, he's sure to have green in Paris. Uh, on the other hand, no one was beating him so far in the sprint, so it could also be they want to sprint and... To make it even more clear, he's in the green in Paris. How are you feeling? Are you feeling like you want to have sort of a pretty easy day and have a real big sprint, or you want to try and have a fast, hard race? I can't imagine, but I'm just going to ask that question anyway. Like, of course, it would mentally it would be nice with an easy day and then just full focus in the end. But I think it would be, on the other hand, it, to to keep keep myself focused and so on. It would also be nice with a long and hard start to get also a few kilometers done it's a long stage and yeah you also know it it's it's pretty annoying to have a 210k stage in the end of a grand tour so if it could keep going for a while it would be nice and then we can settle down and then hopefully sprint in the end so how are you guys guys going to beat quickstep today just say it comes to the end because they've got a really awesome train at the moment i'm sure you will agree they seem like they've got it dialed super fast what's your tactic do you reckon to try and get around their train today yeah, the the problem is uh, Jasper and Edward, they are trying to, to go on the break and that's yeah clearly my lead out guys. So I'm more, you know, free rolling today and hopefully I'm I'm getting a good wheel in the end. Uh, I don't think Quickstep would be the right wheel if I'm alone. I'm, I'm more for Alpesin to go in uh, Philipsen's wheel and then uh, yeah, hopefully I can, can come from behind with a good speed. So Mezgetch there fully expected the egos of the Wolfpack to uh, do all they could to ensure uh, a bunch of today, but really they did absolutely nothing. To mm. to small small point here, but if, if we if we stick to mathematics, we've had two Slovene wins in the mountains, where the 
spoiler alert <laughs> we've had a we've had a so slovenian win today we're probably going to have a slovenian win tomorrow in the time trial so if you know if it, the trend continues we could have a slovenian winner on the champs elysees and could it mescatch you know if things don't go well for matthews who knows it Some could, yeah it could yeah. also be just you know one of those lead outs that just keep going and going and going and you know i could see him doing that Fancy fool. <laughs> Been fun. Uh, another little tangent, but somebody in our Facebook uh, chat group, uh, Second Podcast Facebook group, um, suggested today that the Slovenian story is very reminiscent of Ireland in the 80s with two absolute superstars. Back then it was Roach and Kelly, and, and then two very strong support writers. Back then, Martin Early and Paul Kimmage. Martin mm-hmm. Early was a stage winner in the Tour de France as well. It's a great, it's a great comparison. Um, sim, I mean, Slovenia's even smaller than Ireland but it's it's it, you know it's just it's a similar there's a similar sort of thing happening it seems anyway break went up the road early doors Julian Bernard your teammate Mitch Jonas Ruch who would have a, a big impact on the stage actually Simon Clark Frank Bonamore constant attacker in this years tour and George Zimmerman also a regular attacker of Antimarche Matty Morich uh, bridged across um, so he was in that first breakaway then there were a couple of crashes in the bunch Enric Mass, Guillaume Martin also Mark Cavendish uh, all fell off and that caused a bit of chaos while Movistar was still chasing to get back on Alps and Phoenix were riding quite hard at the front of the bunch and they seemed to be the team taking the initiative to try and keep it together for a bunch sprint not to do any quick step and after the intermediate sprint, um, which was won by from the bunch by by not by Michael Matthews by Sonny Colbrelli, Matthews was edged out. Um, a, a very strong group formed at the front and and rode clear. Now, as as one or two people said at the start, there there are a lot of teams in this race still with nothing, and a lot of those teams are represented in this group. It had some very strong riders. Niels Pollitt was there already a stage winner. Mike Turnison. Edward Turns and Jasper Stoyven of Trek Segafredo, Davide Ballerini of the Koenig Quickstep. There was also quite a representation from Movistar, three riders, Valverde, Garcia Cortina and Arcas, but they dropped back a bit later on. Christophe Laporte was there, Sylvain Dillier, Michael Valgren, Greg Van Avermaet, Elie Gesbert, Casper Pedersen. I'll not go through all the names. Brent Van Moor, I've almost gone through all the names. But anyway, big group and uh, there were a few teams that missed out and we saw... Israel startup nation, Ineos Grenadiers, and rather bizarrely, considering Mohoric was up the road, Bahrain victorious, chasing quite hard. And the gap was being held for quite some time until it opened up and then there was no going back. The, 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 it very quickly expanded to 10 minutes and that was it. The stage was going to be decided by the riders up the road. The attack started quite early. Niels Pollitt was aggressive. Then Matty Moric went away with 26 kilometers to go. He's won a stage already, of course. He's clearly in great form in this tour um, he won the stage Mitch watching it uh, you made the comment that the group behind looked like a horrible group to be in because there was no cohesion at all there was no organisation it was just guys jumping taking turns at jumping to try and get across either on their own or in a small group even before Mohoric left <clears throat> that group looked horrible to be in because that is normally what would happen with 10k to go but things are starting earlier and earlier now we've seen with some other guys who are winning they're going at 40 50k to go so the attacking today started i think at about 50 kilometers to go and from there on in it was just attack after attack after attack and being in those groups the worst thing is that you can be just sitting in a wheel and the guy in front of you just won't follow the wheel and 
you're just sometimes just sitting in the bunch in the group is not sitting in the bunch. Sometimes better just to be off the front because you're closing gaps and missing jumps and it's just a, such a hard situation to be in. Well, Moritz benefited from that because he rode away to the win and he celebrated the win. Remember, of course, two nights ago, last night's episode, we were talking about a police raid on the Bahrain Victorious Hotel a couple of nights ago in Poe, organised by the Marseille prosecutor, not, not Francois. Hmm. He's just, he just happens what, to be from, France, what, from what Marseille. You, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Moritz seemed to be, he, he was, he gave some, some, he was pretty angry about that um, yesterday. We heard him in last night's podcast and he seemed to be fueled by that a little bit today. And then he, as he crossed the line, he gave this this gesture of sort of, per, you know, hand across the lips um, in a kind of don't, you know, don't speak uh, be quiet sort of gesture which he was asked about at the end well we'll hear from him a bit later on on that because there were echoes of of a gesture that Lance Armstrong made several years ago in a, in a different context and I, I don't think I'm pretty sure that there wasn't a reference to that in uh, in Moritz's gesture but it did it did um, rub a few people up the wrong way that's for sure Christoph Laporte was a very impressive second uh, held off Casper Pedersen no change in the overall Pog, Vingegaard, Carapaz, and they'll probably be in the same order tomorrow night after the time trial. Cavendish in the green jersey, 304 points to Matthews, 269. And that's pretty much the tale of the attack. The cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Um, we're running a competition in conjunction with Super Sapiens to win three months worth of Super Sapiens sensors. So you can track your blood glucose levels uh, using the Super Sapiens app on your phone. Um, let's hear the latest entry in our competition tonight from a, a listener to the podcast, Ria Fisher. Let's hear Ria's pitch for Super Sapiens for three months. My name's Ria. And in October of this year, I'm attempting a 12-hour indoor bike ride for charity. I'm pretty new to endurance events. My longest ride time is about seven hours. And I do have some food intolerances, which can make fueling quite challenging. I think that the Super Sapien system would be a great tool in helping me to learn how best to fuel the additional five hours, avoid any sugar crashes, and reach my time goal. I've started working on the longer endurance rides recently and with the official training block due to begin soon, I'm hoping that with three months of Super Sapiens, I could really optimise my lead into October and do something really brilliant with my training. Thank you very much for that, Ria, and good luck. If you'd like to enter the competition, you still can. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you'll see how to submit your your audio. Um, And uh, thanks once again, Super Sapiens, for sponsoring the cycling podcast before we go on to talk about today's stage and we've got lots of lots of interviews to hear tonight including chris Froome and others and um, mitch what's the beer that we're drinking here yes let's get to more important matters and like i said there is no beer local beer today but luckily we've been stocking up <laughs> along the way <laughs> certainly have and i'm gonna go back a day and this is the beer that i told you about yesterday that we bought on the side of the road before the bottom of Luz de Arden. Luz Arden. Uh, Luz de Arden. 
Thank you. The climb. Um, so we're drinking that beer, and this beer is called. It's from the brewery called Brassier du Pays Toy, um, and I'm going to just read you a little bit about it. Situated, breathtaking in the breathtaking Hut Pyrenees. Hut Pyrenees. Pyrenees. Our family-run brewery produces a selection of fine English-style artisan ales using pure mountain spring water and the finest hops and malts a man can find. Mm. So they produce an amber beer, a porter brown, a blonde beer, and a white beer. Like we said, that's a pretty common theme with the Pyrenees craft beer. And I have pretty much know what we all drink now. So I'm drinking the IPA. Well, it didn't say they produce an IPA, but I'm drinking the IPA, which is the Luz de Arden. What are you drinking? I'm on the Tourmalet, the, the Colte Tourmalet beer, the Ombre. And Francois? I'm, a, I'm, I'm drinking the white uh, beer that's called Pou, like the, 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 the start town the other day. Well, one of the classic, uh, you know, stage towns of Tour de France. It's a beautiful beer. Um, in, if we can just go a quick comparison to last night, we've we've all enjoyed it slightly more than last night. Um, less, yeah, less sweet. Less sweet, certainly. Last night's very sweet. I, I enjoyed last night's beers as well, um, but these are um, very nice. And and the our hotelier has done a very good job of making them cold very quickly. Very quickly, they came out of a roasting hot car. And we yeah. chucked them in the freezer, and they're the great drinking temperature. So. Not to go on about it too much tonight. A beautiful cleansing ale once again before we tuck into some dinner. Great. Sets us up nicely for dinner. And, and just before we go on, I mean, we stayed in Levi Scott's last night, podcast favourite. Uh, Mitch, your first experience of that. You said it was your first experience of sort of French fine dining. Um, I think we would describe it as, as fine dining, oh, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, it, it was did, it, did it live up to the, the hype that I was guilty of ladling on it? Very much so. The food... Yes, but also the atmosphere. The chef came out, talked us through what he was going to prepare. We just let him take the reins, and I love that because these guys are out in the kitchen, and you want to, you want them to give you what they think is the best. And we just produced the food for us. But then the best part was came out at the end, bottle of Armagnac, sat down, <laughs> talked about the meal, and that was probably the best part of the whole evening was the food the atmosphere and just sitting down and feeling like part of the family there it was a very special occasion and comparing actually the, the, the his, his job as a chef to cycling saying there were more and more young very young chefs coming from nowhere and 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 thinking Slovenia <laughs> well, well, he didn't mention that, but he said, "Yeah, it's funny because he said, he said the same thing as you hear from the the peloton and the bunch that these young chefs mm. they, they they discover lots of things thanks to social media and on the internet and 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 emerge as as chefs at twenty two, twenty three, and it was he was he was thinking and saying you know that probably lacked the experience to last, and that's what we hear about about riders as well, you know, be, becoming very pro in the junior ranks and kind of overlapping." The, the under 23 category to become pros early on and well and his impression as a chef was that you know, maybe they were missing something and we'll see I mean the future will say whether mm. the same applies to cycling well listen I enjoyed watching today's stage immensely I think we were settling in for potentially a, a quite a, a boring sort of formulaic stage with a break and a you know a, a bunch 
clawing them back and setting up a sprint. That wasn't what happened at all. And I really enjoyed watching it with you, Mitch, because well, you had a couple of teammates up there, um, Jonas and Michael Valgren as well. And it was it was fascinating to get your perspective on it as it was unfolding. As you said earlier, it, it looked a horrible group to be in. There were just too many of them, lots of strong riders as well, lots of attacks. And it was, it, you know, you're obviously watching it with a, a special eye on, on your teammates. And, and it, their tactics looked quite, interesting um Jonas Ruch was was very aggressive and it seemed it looked like Valgren was kind of holding back a little bit more um was that was that what what was happening there well I did I spoke to him at the end Jonas and I sort of suggested that they had a plan like that but in the end I think it was just Jonas wanting to commit everything for the stage and you know sometimes in those breakaway moments or even when you're trying to go for the break it's sometimes that one extra attack that just breaks the cord and I think he was trying to do that even though it looked like he was setting Michael up I think he actually didn't give Michael a chance to follow any attacks because he was just one after the other after the other um, that was quite interesting he's such a strong guy too that he's able to do that that's what blew me away that if you're watching the stage and you guys remember this, up that climb at the end, his face was just a picture of pain. And I thought he was going to be done. He was ending his race there. But he came back and attacked it again and again and again. So it was great to watch. It was great to see that. Laporte was very impressive for me, especially that sprint to the line. He just sat in the seat, just rode into second position. It was like no sprint or anything. It was a quite a tough finish, but his strength was was impressive and you know he'll look at that as a as a m massive missed opportunity won't he yeah i mean you you, you have to feel sorry for for the coffee team and for the for the champagne bottle that's been sitting in their bus for well and it will probably be seated in that bus for 14 years because it's been 13 years since coffee seven won a tour de france stage and they have this bottle of champagne in the mm. bus ready for that day and it'll be good aged champagne by the time it because obviously they're not going to win the time trial tomorrow I, unless something absolutely extraordinary happens and well Christophe Laporte looked good today but we don't really believe he'll win on the Champs-Élysées so there's every chance that, the, 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 this, you know, well, that, that bottle of champagne will stay one more year mm. in, the, in, the, in the fridge in the bus Let, let's hear from the rider who finished third on the stage couldn't quite get round um, Laporte Casper uh, Pedersen of Team DSM another team that was really out there today uh, prepared for a sprint with case ball but also aware that um they had to try and seize an opportunity because they haven't won a stage at this year's tour we were looking for you this morning to ask you how you were gonna um set up the sprint uh yeah. is that what you were expecting this morning as well yeah we were focused on on a sprint but we also knew that this was the last chance for many teams to get in a break so all the teams without a favorite for the sprint would definitely try and go racing so we were for sure ready for that scenario and when it started being fireworks halfway through the stage we we were also there i mean there were some crashes as well but was it just those teams who are desperate for something from the race who forced that that sort of racing that we saw today yeah i think there are still uh, there are still a lot of teams who maybe aren't super satisfied with the results they have so far and this was the last chance for many teams because tt is pretty yeah, you know what you can do in a TT with your team, and uh, and Champs-Élysées is 99% chance of sprint. So that's, I think, why we saw this racing halfway. All the teams, they had nothing to lose, and they wanted to go racing. 
and what did it feel like in that break? Was it? I mean, we saw Morich get away with quite a long way out. What happened behind? I mean, was it just? Uh, it looked very stop-start. The guys were trying to jump. There was no real chase going on behind. No, that's uh, that's always the, the game in such a good, such a big group with so, such good riders. We all know how to race smart, and we all we everybody trying to be the smartest guy. So we look at look to each other, and and the moment Mohoric he has a small gap, then everybody's like saying, "I'm not gonna close it down." So uh, that's also the game you need to you need to find that moment where everybody's looking to each other, and then you have to just go full gas in that moment, and that's what Mohoric did. And we also know that that's what he he's one of the best in the world at doing this. So he did it again. <laughs> so that was Casper Pedersen. When, when Morich went away, you know, there were teams, Treks like Afredo in particular, a couple of strong riders in that group. Um, did, did, did those teams mess it up in the end? I think so. It's very easy to say from watching the television. And you wonder whether there's individual sort of goals there, opposed to a real committed team plan um two guys that are very similar similar finishing attributes you know Edward Toons and Jasper Sturvin you know maybe they were just indecisive of who was really going to work for who there you know opposed to when you have two different style of riders it's very clear who the guy's going to commit for the sprinter or vice versa so that might have been a, a situation there it's disappointing to see that because I just feel like it's so obvious just to commit for one guy but then again if they'd shut it down to Mohoric and, you know, just say Toons had committed to shut down Mohoric, his race was over, the next attack would have gone. There wasn't a guarantee it was going to stay together. That's also another thing, too. Maybe they were playing the the card that... The gamble card. We've just got to work together. We've got to get everyone rolling here because if we commit, Mohoric is back, yes, but then you, next thing, Valgren goes. Next thing, someone else goes. Uh, but in the same time, Jasper Stoyven was in was in a breakaway with Moric in in the the longest stage of the the tour to Le Creusot. If I remember well, mm. he, he came second. So mm. I mean, you know, he, maybe you know he, when he saw Moric go, he he, he felt that the, the 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 scenario was playing again. I don't know. Maybe that that led to the indecision. Uh, and if you look at the results, I mean, the tunes finished ahead of him. So were there was there a you know kind of disagreement He'd- there? You'd think that'd almost be more motivation for for Sturvin to go, you know what, I'm not letting you get away. You beat me last time. I'm just going to commit. I'm going to chase you back. It's so surprising for me that they let, let, that's probably not the right word, but they saw um, Mohoric go and even 10 seconds, you just can't give that guy 10 seconds. You can't give him 10 metres. No, I mean, he's obviously super strong. I mean, we remember his, crash, his terrible crash at the, at the Giro that, that saw him out of that race he's such he's he's always been a a brilliant rider who perhaps hasn't achieved as much as a as a senior as his pedigree as a junior and under 23 rider suggested he would but he he shows in flashes this incredible ability that he has but he has been and his team have been at the the center of this the story that's bubbling away after the the police raid a, a couple of nights ago he's been pretty pretty angry by that and and I thought him winning is is just going to breathe new life into this story. I'm sure that ASO and the Tour de France would have rather somebody from another team won. Um, but then he exacerbated that with this gesture at the end. I mean, I don't know what you made of it, Francois. The you know the kind of be quiet gesture. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, I was wondering what he meant by that. Probably, uh, I mean, a lot was said. You know, well after yesterday about the fact that he was very outspoken about the and complaining about the the, the police raid. 
So so maybe it was kind of you know a way to say well you know so so you you want me to shut up this is my this is my answer that's that's the way I saw it because he's a, we know he's a clever guy we know he's a he's a, he's a literate guy you know he's not he's not like a, a, like a bully or a, a, you know kind of very um, so so I mean cerebral he, he, yeah he's, he's kind of cerebral right he's a kind of an intellectual he's a guy who rings books and reads books on the Tour de France I mean like Bauke Molema uh, so no, if, if you obviously did that that uh, gesture on purpose and uh, he knew what he was doing well I asked him about it at the end because we waited for a long time to speak to him after he'd won the stage and managed to grab a, a quick word with him I guess not not the day expected today we most of us expected a bunch sprint but I heard you say you lined up near the front to be ready for anything today yeah I said we said well, at the bus this morning it's probably going to be a sprint if they control but we all know it's third week teams have uh, weekend rosters some riders are tired some riders are injured some riders are sick so you never know, you know. It's just two teams that are really that have really won sprint stages. So nobody's really gonna try and give them a helping hand. So it's always gonna be possibility to, to have chaos at the start, especially then when I, I said better safe than sorry, start in the front. And then I saw kilometer zero was on a very hilly road, but narrow, a lot of uh, road furniture. I said, oh, this is has potential to be a big chaos, no? And then when I saw the first breakaway going, I said yeah, to myself, yeah, now you have to try to bridge across and maybe maybe see how it plays out if some other group comes from the back or something. And then they didn't. Peloton settled down. But I still tried to, because I invested a lot of energy into that breakaway, I said, yeah, guys, we are here. Now we should maybe try and do our best. We should ride hard as hard as we can for the first two hours and see if maybe Peloton gives up the chase. Maybe we have an option to fight for the stage win. And this is great for everyone involved no? and they agreed and we did that uh, but then unfortunately for us there was another big group uh, of breakaway riders uh, bridging across to us and then that make it a lot more complicated but I never stopped believing in myself I try to focus on my own race doing my best my best possible performance and when Niels Polit made that decisive move I said to myself yeah Matei now go as hard as you can do one more sprint one more effort and then if you're finished you're finished this is you have a success, successful tour I didn't really, yeah, I just went for it and I didn't never look back. And you've been asked a lot about the victory gesture. I mean, was that something you thought about before the finish? Was that a, 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 a gesture that you wanted to make? No, I just wanted to make to make sure that people know that uh, we are, uh, all of us, all the riders in the Tour de France, we're all working hard, putting a lot of effort into being uh, the best version of ourselves to be ready for this race, to be prepared, and that all the people that comment on this from their couches and from the comfort of their own homes should maybe sometimes think twice about what they say. And uh, yes, just this. Have you been aware of a lot of that on, on social media and stuff? Has been a lot of comment the last day or so? No, I try to stay around, stay away from it. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind us to tell you that this episode is sponsored by MAP, the Melbourne-based cycling clothing company who are doing some really interesting stuff when it comes to the uh, design and also the technical aspects of cycling kit. Their materials are sourced, selected and rigorously tested, always with the rider at the forefront of their thinking. And we've been sent some MAP kit or more specifically
specifically Richard has. He's keeping my uh, jersey and bib shorts safe, I trust, and will get them over to me in the UK. But Richard's been riding in the Evade jersey, which is uh, made with ultra soft Italian fabrics. And also the Emblem Pro Hex jersey, which has the four-way stretch woven hex tech sleeve fabric, which is not only super light, but it means the jersey fits really well both on and off the bike. And he's also got the Team Bib Evo, which is the seventh generation of MAPS bib shorts with 3D thermo-molded chamois technology um, manufactured by Elastic Interface in Italy. Now that's the theory, but what about the practice? Richard, you've been riding in the mountains in the Pyrenees there for a couple of days. Now when you're riding in the mountains, of course, it's warm going up and cool going down. So that seems like the perfect place to put the kit through its paces. It looks good, but how did it shape up on the bike? Well, Lionel, it shaped up incredibly well. And as you say, I am keeping your jersey and shorts safe out here in France. And we're safer than on my actual person. <laughs> I've managed to wear both sets of the map kit and uh, thoroughly enjoyed wearing them both. A word for the Evade jersey, which I wore on my on my big long ride in Andorra. It wasn't very warm there at all. In fact, it was pretty cold. And I climbed up to 2,100 metres and... Uh, got pretty hot on the way up, was gushing sweat and uh, began to realise I didn't have any extra clothing. And I could see riders coming down the hill, uh, kind of dressed up. And I started to worry that I'd underestimated the conditions. Um, but I stopped at the top, turned around and my kit was within seconds absolutely bone dry. Uh, the, the the shirt and the, well, the base layer shirt and shorts. And I, I was absolutely fine coming back down the descent. So um, it was it was a phenomenal um, experience, actually, and uh, I thoroughly have enjoyed wearing the kit. I wore it yesterday on my ride with Mitch as well, and I'll be wearing it tomorrow when we go and recce the time trial route. But I've been very impressed. The fit is excellent. Um, as I said a couple of nights ago, it feels really fast, and uh, no excuses for me, basically. Um, to get your hands on some MAP kit with 15% off the full price items, go to map.cc forward slash cycling that's m-a-a-p dot c-c forward slash cycling then enter the offer code cycling 15 cycling and the numbers one and five before the end of july to get your hands on some of this fabulous cycling kit well fellas stacy snyder's cups mugs and gelato bowls went back on sale second batch today and sold out within minutes once again i don't want to make any any inaccurate claims for how quickly they sold out but they sold out very very quickly raising lots of money for brain tumor research um, a cause inspired by uh, our listener and friend of the podcast Liam Bergen um, who did a ride recently to raise funds for brain tumor research and has a brain tumor himself and we've been following his story and uh, are delighted to contribute to that that very good cause um, so thanks once again to everybody who bought one of these items and Sorry if you tried to get one and couldn't, but they will be uh, going on sale, I guess, for the Vuelta again. And we'll, we'll just carry on as long as they sell, and they're, they're selling very quickly. Um, we've also been running, or we've been asking for nominations for Peddler de Charme. We've had lots and lots of nominations, uh, and lots of really great nominations. Um, a few of you have nominated Tim de Klerk, the De Quick Quickstep rider, El Tractor. He will actually get a cup anyway, as one of our audio diarists, Stacey, has made him. I think she might have even made him a special cup with a tractor on it. So that's nice. So he'll get one. Um, 
I've actually, we've actually made a decision about who should be the peddler de charme of this year's Tour de France. And it's uh, Chris Yule Jensen, the Danish rider, Danish-Irish rider on Team Bike Exchange. Um, I mentioned this last night, but a couple of days ago after the Col de Porte, uh, as they descended the, the, the climb to go back to their buses, which not a lot of people will know, but the riders often in the mountains have to then ride maybe up to 15 kilometers back to their bus. Um, this was the case a couple of days ago. And uh, Yul Jensen, Philip Gilbert and Chris Froome came upon a, a rider um, who was out watching the tour who fell quite some distance off the road. Um, and it transpired, or I learned this morning, uh, that it was Yul Jensen who actually went to his assistance. Now, Yul Jensen is always a great guy for us to speak to. Um, he's a sort of favorite of the podcast. And I think for this gesture, for what he did to help somebody, he would be a, a he is a thoroughly deserving peddler de charme. I spoke to him this morning. I also spoke to Chris Froome, who was on the scene as well. Um, let's hear from both of them now. Initially, Chris Froome, and then Chris Jensen. First of all, can I ask you about this incident the other day with uh, you, Philip Gilbert, and Chris Jensen came to the rescue of somebody? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, it was coming down from Col de Porte. Uh, there was a guy just in front of me uh, who hit some gravel on, on a corner, managed to hold it up, but in, in the process went uh, through basically the apex of the, the bend and straight over the edge just in front of me. So nat- naturally I, I, I stopped to try and uh, see if he was all right and try and call some uh, an ambulance to help him because he definitely seemed uh, quite out of it and quite, uh, to me, it looks as if he had a concussion, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he definitely needed to be checked out medically, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the unfortunate side of side of bike racing that we all know too well. How are you feeling, Chris? I mean, now close to the end of, of the tour, what's this tour felt like for you? Um, yeah, it's it's been, it's been pretty brutal. Uh, obviously day one, that, uh, that crash set me back a bit and uh, it feels as if I've been sort of playing catch up ever since then. Um, I'm still having to put dressings on, on an open wound that's still three weeks later still uh, causing me issues still sleeping on on the left side uh, ribs are still painful uh, so i mean the body's the body's been through it these last few weeks but uh, i'm really glad to have been here all the same uh, to be absorbing this racing one side i do feel has really come along a lot is uh, the accelerations within the peloton i feel as if i'm handling that a lot better now than um, when i came into this race i've uh, obviously got a lot, a lot of work to do going forwards but this this tour has given me a lot of motivation um it's been it's been fascinating to see the uh, younger generation of guys who have come up and uh, i certainly hope to come back to future editions to to be able to be up there fighting it out with him. Would Chris Froome at his best beat Tali Pogacar at his best? <laughs> I mean, that's something I'd love to find out. Uh, so, I mean, uh, there's only, I'm going to have to work harder than I've ever worked before to, to get there. Um, but this was, this was uh, I, I think, a, a really important step for me to be here and to go through this. And the Vuelta, Chris, is the Vuelta on your programme this year it's, as well? It's on the cards at the moment. Still haven't made a decision one way or another yet on that, but uh, it's, it's definitely on the cards. We asked um, Chris about it as well, Chris Froome. Um, you, you went down to help the guy, I believe. What happened? Well, I don't know. Maybe there's a bit more of a spring in my step compared to Philip Joubert and uh, Chris Froome, but uh, but no, they're, they're the two who saw the accident. I actually didn't see the crash, and they, were, uh, they seemed pretty concerned and uh, pointed to a guy who was sort of uh, sitting uh, not in the ditch but like uh, you know on, on the uh, bank of, of the mountain 
rather dazed and confused and uh, they took the initiative to, to call the ambulance and then uh, I hopped off my bike and uh, went down to see if the guy was alright and uh, he, seemed, he seemed okay, he was certainly very, very confused and dazed bit of a launch he'd taken off the off the road but actually when he realized what had happened and that uh, his bike was maybe 10 meters away from him then uh, he, he became more concerned about his bike and uh, yeah it was in a lot of distress over whether his bike was uh, damaged or not but um, I grabbed his bike and uh, we straightened out the handlebars and uh, I think both him and the bike were, were okay. Oh, he was, so he was, he was okay so as far as you were concerned when you left him he seemed to be okay. Yeah that, that was my impression I mean uh, I think he was from the Basque country and because uh, he lost his phone during the crash and then someone asked him asked if they could call it and he started telling them his phone number and then he started telling them his phone number in English where I I think uh, I came to the conclusion not that I'm a, I've any experience with sort of uh, telling whether or not the guy had a concussion but you know he seemed pretty bright bright enough to remember his, his telephone number even in English so uh, no I felt sorry for the guy I mean I think uh, you see often is the case when, when we descend down from the finish, it is a bit sketchy, especially with uh, the touring riders. Usually they, they're mostly just in awe of the fact that they, they get a chance, a rare opportunity to ride down, down the mountain with us. And I think I spoke to Froome about it and he said I, he felt a bit guilty because it seemed like the guy was glancing over his shoulder just to get a glance at uh, the great Chris Froome. And then, uh, you know, he overcooked the corner and <laughs> went flying. But uh, luckily nothing happened. And um, yeah, I, I actually... I felt sorry for him because it sort of puts things into perspective. We don't really think about how much a bike is worth, and uh, you know, if we break a bike, we get a new one. It doesn't really matter. But uh, to him, you know, I, I think even he have, had he, had he had two broken legs, he would have still been more in tears over the the prospect of uh, losing his bike. But I think uh, I think both thing, both both uh, bike and bike and rider were 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 okay. It's something that people who've not been to the tour probably don't realize. But the last two days, at the end of the stage, you know, you finish the stage and then you got to ride quite a long way often. Yeah, last night was quite a long way back down to the buses. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it sort of, in the beginning, it's just a, the sense of relief that the stage is over. It's a mountain stage. You typically end, you know, finish up high, and then you just you have the freedom to dawdle down, down a descent, uh, you know, by yourself, sort of digest and reflect uh, upon the stage you've just done. But then gradually, as, as it seems like the bus is further and further away, you start to think, geez, this is a bit of a ball ache. Um, Especially if you haven't got enough clothes on. But uh, no, I mean, you can't really complain about it when, as soon as the race ends, everything seems pretty blissful. But uh, it is something you need to take into account. But, you know, here and many other races, they've started to become quite good at restricting the amount of uh, fans who descend along with, with the riders. But you can't avoid it completely. Um, and you do see pretty bad and unfortunate accidents. But, I mean, yeah. Uh, All in the day's work for you at the Tour de France, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was. I was surprised actually. It made the headlines. I didn't. I, I just told a few guys in the team, but uh, yeah. I can understand that uh, Froome and Gilbert also told the, the journalists. But uh, yeah, I, I hope that uh, my my attributes on the bike in the race become are more known than uh, or out of the race. But uh, I'm glad I didn't just ride by and not really care. I think it's like human nature that you'd you'd want to hop down and see if he's all right. So from hopping down the ditch to see if Lucas Hamilton was okay a couple of days ago to Hopping down the ditch to see if uh, a fan was all right. It's it's more it's it's a person at the end of the day. They gotta make sure they're okay. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport for their support of the cycling podcast. If you want 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com 
and enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout. If you'd like to enter the competition that we're running with Science of Sport to predict the winner of Sunday's stage into Paris, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. You can still enter and uh, be in with a chance of winning £80 worth of Science of Sport sports nutrition products. So tomorrow, the time trial uh, chaps, what do we... It's not the denouement that Prudhomme and ASO would have wanted uh, because in terms of the overall, there's really not a lot to be decided. You could say the podium's pretty settled. Um, and that that's not ideal. You know, a time trial like this right at the end of the race is much more interesting if, if there's something at stake. As we saw last year at La Planche de Belfi, there turned out to be a lot more at stake there than we imagined beforehand. But um, what is there tomorrow to look forward to, Francois, apart from wine? Well, there'll be lots of wine and good wines you know, along the way, but we'll, we'll get back to it uh, tomorrow. But yeah, obviously the way, uh, you know, Tariq Pogacar was talking about tomorrow's race, you know, in in interviews, I mean, is, is, is you know, is, it looks even better. I mean, of, of course, he won three stages already and won the Tour. So, I mean, they, they, he'll have no pressure, totally relaxed, the, the best men. Uh, on the bike, the best man on the course. I really can't see how he can be beaten. I mean, sometimes we, we hesitate. We say, "Oh, yeah," but a specialist like Stefan Kung. Stefan Kung came close in Laval, and uh, uh, you know, he was beaten by by Pogacar. Will it, you know? Obviously, all these guys are real TT specialists. Will will go for it. Will you know? Will do their best. But as happens most of the time in the last time trial of the tour. Uh, you know the the, the the top guys in the GC usually are you know even more motivated, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Jonas Vingegaard finishing second. In, in I don't we, we don't know about Carapaz. That that that's maybe the the, the little question mark in the, in terms of the GC. But I mean his lead over Ben O'Connor and and the fact that Ben O'Connor is not a TD specialist either. You know he should stay in, in it place. It would need a spectacular collapse. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I, I I don't think really we should we should expect any uh, any surprise. So yeah, enjoy the, the 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 scenery, enjoy the view, enjoy the the names of the wines we'll be we'll be seeing, and and it's always spectacular, especially if the weather is nice. To see, uh, I I actually like time trials. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a pure effort. It's a it's a it, the fine art of pedaling, and sometimes it can be really beautiful. And with the, the scenery we'll have tomorrow, I think yeah, just enjoy the. Yeah, the beauty of the sport. I mean, that's that's what we. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's going to be more an aesthetic kind of uh, pleasure tomorrow than 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 the, the suspense of uh, of you know what what's at stake. Mitch, do you like time trials? Doing them or watching them? I was lucky enough to do a time trial through the Barolo region, another beautiful region, wine region, and I didn't have to do much that day apart from get in, which is mostly the case for me with time trials, and I really got to absorb the the region. Um, which can be a lucky thing if a guy just has to ride in. And when I say ride in, for anyone out there thinking it's just sort of, you know, sit up and cruising coffee ride, you still have to put a fair bit of pressure on the pedals, but the the pressure is off, the psychological pressure. So you can actually look around sometimes and enjoy it. Um, what I wanted to say also, which will be the case for quite a lot of guys tomorrow, what I wanted to say also about what you were saying about the, the GC men having more m- more motivation than, say, the individual time trialists, I think another thing that comes into play is that at this point in the race, they have also got through the race at a different way than, say, a guy like Stefan Kung and maybe uh, Luke Durbridge or these guys who are pure time trialists. They lose that edge. As they get more tired, they're fresh one-day time trialists. 
and they're able to produce that one effort at the start of tours or on a one-day time trial, very good. And these these Grand Tour riders, these GC men, they're getting to the end of this race, I wouldn't say fresh, but fresher than a guy like Stefan Kuhl. And that's what I find amazing is these end time trial results, they're they sometimes throw a real spanner in the works. Like last year, yeah. And uh, But but Kuhn, I mean, you know, a huge opportunity for him to, to rescue his team's tour because they've had a, a, a disappointing tour and a stage win right at the death would probably be very welcome for Groupama FDG, I would suspect. France, have you got some French culture for us? Any culture around here? Anything? Anything at all? Breweries or anything? <laughs> any breweries? Any craft beer? Well, they they, they actually make a, a you know they they make they're making a, a beverage that that's uh, that that's kind of, it's 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 funny because we started in we started in Britain and we we finishing you know in the south of France and then of course in in, in Paris to to wrap it up. But one thing you you if if you don't know it, but I, I'll, I'll tell it. There's, there's there's a real divide in France between the beer, uh, the, you know. The, the beer France, that's the north of France, and the wine France, that's the south of France, and also a big divide between the uh, butter France, that's the north of France, and the, o- the olive oil France, that's the the, the the south of France. So, so, so that's that might be why you know the the guy here with vines himself was kind kind of not insulted, but you know you you're you're furious. In, he was you're, absolutely yeah. furious. <laughs> you were either in wine country or in beer country, and you were either in in, in butter country or in 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 uh, in um, olive oil country. And and that, that 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 divide, which is the Loire River, actually, is is yeah. I mean, it's very important for to, for people and. There you are. So I was talking about the Loire, which is one of big, which is the biggest river in France, with the Rhone. And but we have a, we have a here, and we're in Libourne. Uh, we're not far from Libourne, where we arrived today. And um, that, there's a, there's a big river, and you probably saw it in, on the, in the uh, images of the of the stage at the finish, called La Garonne. And uh, La, La Garonne, when it comes to Bordeaux, it becomes uh, the mouth. The mouth of the Garonne goes into the ocean. And it's called La Gironde, and that's the name of the department, the La Gironde. And every year, you know, when we, you have the high tide uh, in in the area, you have what called, and that's the word of the day, it's mascaré. Mascaré. If you ask about mascaré in the area, everybody knows what it is, and it's th- th- that day. I mean, th- th- you have the same thing in Wales and in lots of countries in the world, but it's the day when there's a big wave coming back from the uh, from the the ocean because of the tide, and it goes back in the river and you've got this wave you know coming inland for miles you know and there's a every year there's a big mascara going up to Libourne and all the surfers you know in the area there's lots of surfers in the area because you've got great beaches uh, in the in the area Arcachon Lacano where they've got a work work, work up um, a leg a surfing leg in, in Lacano and and so I mean the mascara is a is very important moment for for Libourne. Everybody comes there to see the guys coming, you know, on that wave in the on the river. You got stars, you know, go, going on on a on a woody, you know, <laughs> and on a board and trying to 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 stay as long as they can on that wave. And so that's that's a, that's an important moment moment in the life of Libourne. So uh, so in case you know you're in the area, uh, you know when when they, uh, so obviously it's not the same day every year. It depends on tides. You have to 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 watch out for it. But it's a, it's an important moment in the life of Libourne. The the tidal wave of Libourne. 
uh, cheese. You know, we have beer of the day, cheese. So we, we started in Brittany with very little, very few cheeses because it's not a cheese-making country. Gironde, which is the area here, doesn't have many cheese uh, either because it's not it's not a grazing uh, country. You, you see, well, because it's uh, once again we, we, it's, a, it's a river mouth, and so you have a, a little bit of land like in Poyac, but uh, that, that it's not uh, usually, you know, it's not, not made for, for cheese. But th- there is one called Tom de Bazas, and it's actually the only cheese produced in the Giron department. And it's like, that's back to the time when sheep were taken from the mountains of the Basque country, where we were uh, in the Pyrenees, and down to the plain marshes of Gironde to graze. And so, uh, you know, from this time, they would have been doing Tom de Bazas, and you couldn't find, you couldn't find it in the shops around here. And that, that's, that's unfortunately the only uh, cheese they have uh, uh, in the area so I don't know what cheese I'm going to talk about tomorrow well, hopefully we'll find a beer as well I mean we'll be short of cheese and short of beer at the time trial anyway uh, so well there's there's a few sides but I come back to it tomorrow we, uh, on the on the course tomorrow we'll, we'll be going close to Petru, Chateau Petrus which is and I'll, I'll come back to it tomorrow which is the most expensive wine in the world will be also uh, well today actually we went almost Past Chateau d'Iquem, it's home to the most famous white wine in the world. Uh, it was actually appreciated by George Washington, the first president of the United States. But the wine of Iquem already had a long history, uh, unlike Petrus, which started in the 20th century. Actually, the story of Chateau d'Iquem, that, that, you know, the, the, the peloton went past it very quickly. There were lots of breakaways, so you didn't have lots of time to watch it. But... Uh, it actually began in 1453 when Aquitaine, then English, was attached to the Kingdom of France. A century later, a local notable, Jacques Sauvage, was granted the rights of simple t- tenure of Iken and thus became the first in a long line of passionate wine growers. And so it, it's a privileged Sauterne, terra. We are in the region of Sauterne with exceptional climatic and geological properties. Chateau d'Iken obtained its, lot, its letters of nobility in 1855 with the title of Premier Cru Supérieur. Since then, the, the, that distinction has guided the genius of this sweet wine. The, the two owner families, so you had two families owned in the, the area, the Sauvage and Lursalus, they have been protected for over 400 years. But at, at the, in 1999, that the Chateau d'Iquem, because you know, it's so prestigious, became property of the LVMH luxury group. And uh, and the chateau itself, if you if you go on a visit there, is listed as an historical monument. So you know, Chateau d'Iquem, one of the probably the most famous white wine in the world, if we exclude champagne out of it. Um, yeah, uh, t- tomorrow is uh, yesterday. No. Today we started. We started from Mourinx, and the, the funny thing about Mourinx is, uh, it was actually a, a nothing town uh, before 1958. It didn't exist. It's like a you know kind of a mushroom town, uh, and it was actually in before 1958. It was a village of uh, 200 souls, but it, it was built as at an extremely fast pace. Uh, uh, after 1958 and a few years later had almost 12,000 inhabitants because they actually found the deposit of gas there you know and so so it was like you know yeah, a mushroom town everybody flocked to 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 try and exploit the gas and they've and got a velodrome now it's got a velodrome yeah and the velodrome is named after Eddie Merckx and and the reason why it's, it's named after Eddie Merckx and Eddie Merckx were there at the start is that uh, in the ni- in this 1969 Tour de France when he, he, he won everything almost like Tadi Pogacar all the jerseys on offer won stages and this may be one of his most un- unbelievable feats in the 1969 Tour de France was he attacked on, on on the stage going to Mourinx. It was a 240 k stage which which was quite common at the time 
and he'll he, he, he remain on his own for 140 Ks and, and won the stage with an eight-minute lead over the second mm. guy, you know, so that was Merckx in the day. It was that performance that gave rise to the, the term Merxissimo, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. Jacques Godet coined that the next day. Ab- absolutely. Well, it was, it's still seen as probably is the, the, one of the most exciting feats in his uh, career, that, 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 that as well, as we know, lots of them. And uh, so, yeah, so, well, they, they built that, this town, and, uh, um, and, uh, and the funny thing is uh, when it was uh, inaugurated, uh, the General de Gaulle was there, and Nikita Khrushchev, the, uh, the, the, the Soviet uh, uh, leader at the time, came to see the, 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 the development of, the, uh, of this project. And, um, and, and so the, the first inhabitants of the, uh, who, went, who came there in the, 19, the late 1950s that are still you know, seen as, as pioneers, and they call themselves the pioneers, you know, like maybe Merckx was kind of was kind of a pioneer of uh, of the cycling we know today. So that was to uh, that was to Merckx. So we, we mentioned Merckx. We we also went past at kilometer seventy one. We went through Mont de Marsan, uh, and Mont de Marsan is also known for a famous rider who was probably the leading rival of Eddie Merckx, Luis Ocaña, the Spaniard of Mont de Marsan, mm. who lived there for most and most of his life and short life and made his career in Mont-de-Marsan so yeah full of cycling history mm. in today's stage yeah now um, you're, you're being given a night off singing tonight Francois yep. because we've got a, a guest submission keep them coming just before we go <laughs> um, a few people have been asking Mitch how, how, how or if you're training while you're, while you're here with us um, and uh, because you're running the Tour of Poland soon and the Eneco Tour and then Pyro Bay will be your final race as a professional um, but you are you are training. You're getting on the bike, but you run as well, which is quite unusual for a professional rider. You've been a couple of runs. I do, yeah. I've I sort of started running. Oh, I don't know, five six years ago now. Um, as a thing in the off season because I enjoy it. And anyone out there who runs knows it's just a different sort of high to cycling. You can achieve something so quick in a run that you can't achieve riding and they're two different things but just if you like exercising and you like getting that sort of runner's high or exercise high it's really great it's also really good for the bone density and as cyclists as we get older we don't do much apart from ride we don't really walk around much we don't play games so it's also another good thing to make you feel a little bit more like a normal human being and it's also really great like we get back from these long days at you know seven o'clock and 20 30 minutes Get out in the shoes, run around Saint Emilion today. Was I already know the area better than you do? <laughs> you do, you do. We're <laughs> going to go for a ride tomorrow. I'm probably going to rip your legs off again like I did yesterday, uh, as we wrecking the time. Oh, it's on. Yeah, oh, no, I'm I'll joking. go out and do 100k uh, before we start. Let's I'm do joking. it. Just to just to get the engine revving. <laughs> um, but we'll do that. And uh, like I say, we've got a, a guest song tonight. Um, Benjamin Joseph, a Dorset musician, window cleaner, and enthusiastic part-time cyclist is how he describes himself. Um, thanks for your email, Benjamin. Lovely sentiments. Um, but he says that hearing Francois invite musical submissions, oh, how you might regret this, he says in brackets, I'm sending you a recording of a song I put together for a bit of fun, inspired by the tour, the Giro, and most importantly, Lionel's 1101 Cappuccino. Thank you, Francois. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Big meal tonight, mate. Huge ride tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear Benjamin Joseph to play out. Cappuccino sends me 
you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.